And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion on the important topic of the income achievement gap. My next guest is Dr. Cynthia Esposito Lamy. Dr. Lamy is a developmental and educational research psychologist with a focus on children, families, and schools in poverty. She is the author of a recent book, American Children in Chronic Poverty, Complex Risk, Benefit Cost Analyses, and Untangling the Knot. And as a senior fellow at the National Institute for Early Education Research at Rutgers University, has published and contributed to many chapters, articles, and reports. She has directed several large longitudinal studies, including a seven-year study of Head Start families and children. She has developed a system to estimate the social return on investment of poverty fighting for the Robin Hood Foundation. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Very nice to be here. Thank you. I greatly appreciate you coming on. Um, Cynthia, what causes the gap in educational achievements between children from lower and higher income families? Well, there's been a lot of research over the past few decades that show clearly that that gap starts really early. So, you know, most folks don't think about it until they see the test scores or, you know, maybe when they see the the high school graduation rate differences between kids who um, are from higher income and and lower income families. But um, it turns out that kids actually come to kindergarten um, already substantially behind when they're in lower income families where, and it's important to understand that the group differences that we talk about are average group differences because, you know, there's plenty of, of great families and who have low income who mm-hmm. support their kids and whose kids come to this, come to school just perfectly fine. And then there are kids, you know, who have, who are from higher income families and maybe they're not doing so well, but, um, on average, it turns out that the kids in lower-income families come to kindergarten already substantially behind. No, no. So, what was it? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, what was interesting so, is in your in your article uh, how preschool yeah. fights poverty from from last spring or spring of 2013. You mentioned that uh, you mentioned high-quality preschool as opposed to simply preschool. Um, what exactly are you, are you referring to that? It's incredibly important um, because because we know that the kids come to to kindergarten already behind. The idea is that you have to get them even earlier and provide them with the experiences that they need um, so that they can sort of kickstart their own um, pre-academic uh, 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 abilities. So if you put a child in uh, a low-quality preschool, then they're actually not going to reap those benefits. What they need is a really high-quality environment. And so there are ways to see uh, that the preschool is really high-quality. Now, what what are some of those elements? If I'm a parent of a, a three-year-old and I'm concerned about my child going next year to preschool, um, what should I be looking for? Yeah. Well... There are several things you, you should be you should be looking for, and one of them is that the teacher the teacher the teaching staff at the preschool should be really well educated. They should have a very strong uh, background in child development and in early learning pedagogy. 
they should really know what they're doing in an early childhood classroom, and they should know um, they should be experts in child development. But even beyond that, they should be really warm, responsive people who obviously enjoy working with children. Um, and so, because an integral part of a high quality uh, environment for young for young children is that they get to they get to um, explore their own development of of language. So this is really important. Um, kids kids need to be encouraged to develop their vocabulary and to develop their pre literacy skills. So pretending to write, um, taking chance, all this is is uh, it requires somebody with patience and somebody who knows that it's not exactly that the, that the child has to produce a perfect product um, or learn a certain number of letters or words, you know, per day or something like that, but it's in the process and the process should be joyful. So where you see that children are really enjoying um, and that they're learning in a joyful way, that tends to be a, a pretty darn good preschool. So the, the preschool classroom is also going to have lots of great materials. So you're not going to go into a classroom um, that you know that's high quality, and, and you're just not going to see a bare classroom. You're going to see a ton of books of all different types. You're going to see um, an art area. You're going to see an extensive dramatic with lots of different uh, materials that will be used to sort of enhance children's creativity and um, and and the dramatic play area is an important part uh, of where children are playing and then an adult who knows what they're doing can go into that area and support children's play um, by actually introducing new vocabulary or new ideas um, and it's really subtle and, and kids think they're playing but they're actually learning mm-hmm. that's what it's going to look like now that, that's a, a great uh, description and let me just ask you, since you are, uh, I believe you're New York based, New York City based. Um, New York City is the largest single school district in the country with over one million students. Do you have some concerns at the the pace at which they're trying to implement uh, preschool? Um, I think that everyone has concerns, and it, it just wouldn't be right to not have concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly a huge effort, uh, but. I have to say that there are a lot of great people trying to make this happen in New York City, um, and New York City has leadership that understands what a high-quality program looks like and knows how to support it. So, you know, teachers can't do it on their own. Uh, administrators need to support what's going on in the classrooms and know, they need to know how to do that um, by providing teachers with, you know, really high-quality professional development um, and technical assistance and by making sure that the classrooms have the materials that they need, that the, that the classrooms have the, the curricula um, that are research-backed and the assessment tools that are valid and reliable um, and we know are good for kids. So that is actually happening in New York City. And I think that the pace that, you know, UPK is rolling out is going to provide challenges. But um, the eye is definitely on the high-quality prize in New York City. Excellent. That's excellent to hear. And, you know, I, I guess I was fortunate because I, I way back in the very early 70s, uh, I went to preschool. I didn't know what it was. Um, but, you know, I'm now, you know, learning, you know, later in life, the how crucial that was, uh, because 
uh, and, and tell me if you agree or if your, your research, um, proves this out. If you start behind in kindergarten, you're likely to remain behind, uh, most yeah, of your that's schooling. It's, it's really, um, it's, you know, it'll break your heart. But those, those little guys walking into kindergarten, um, if they're walking in behind, they tend to stay behind. You know, the, the, um, the achievement or, or the test scores, um, uh, of, of the kids who enter kindergarten, they predict, they predict third grade scores. They predict high school graduation. Mm. So it's not that it's written in stone. Certainly it isn't. Lots of kids, uh, do better. Um, but like we said, you know, group differences on average, it's much, much harder. If you come in, uh, substantially behind, you tend to stay behind. Yeah. Now in, in, any of your ongoing research or any ongoing research that you're aware of, are they taking into account the cost savings from including preschool and down and down the road you would have less of a need for um, so many kids being classified? Maybe because of the fact that they have preschool, you're going to have fewer kids with IEPs stating that they need extra help or, you know, extra time or what have you. Yeah. Do you see the, the, the direct correlation? Well, um, you're talking about the findings of some really important studies in the in the field of early childhood, um, the Perry study, the Abcedarian study, and the Chicago study. Um, and now we have state level studies that are starting to follow kids into elementary school um, in several states across the country. And so those those earlier those longitudinal studies um, where they followed the kids all the way out to adulthood, uh, they literally found. Um, differences between the groups of kids who got the preschool, high-quality preschool, and kids who didn't throughout their lives. Just mm-hmm. the only difference was that they did or did not have preschool. And um, the kids, of course, did better on in school, and they graduated high school at higher rates. And some of the studies found that kids went to college in greater numbers. They went on to earn more money. They went... So, so when you earn more money... Um, you pay more taxes and mm-hmm. you're less likely to, you know, break the law and get arrested. You're, you're less likely to have your children very early um, because you are headed towards success and you have lots of hope for your future and you're moving toward, you know, something interesting in your adulthood and, um, and you just tend to sort of stay on that successful course um, and, that, and that saves society money. Because you're not then needing um, entitlement supports like Medicaid and food stamps, and you're and you're actually returning to society through the taxes that you pay, um, you know, more money. So that was the impetus, basically, for the, the the push in this country for high quality preschool, and you're starting to see it. You know, you're starting to see it roll out in a lot of places. And and it's it's interesting because uh, the school district I work in just received a I guess it's about two and a half million dollar grant to federal grant to implement preschool. Now, in in the school district our size, that's really not a considerable amount of money. And the argument has become, if you attend uh, local board meetings, that, you know, when the grant runs out, you know, that you can't do away with the preschool. You now have to absorb the cost of it. And the cost is going to be considerably higher than the two and a half million grant that was initially given. And 
most of the time, especially outside of uh, New York City, when you're in a small school district, everyone's concern is, well, my taxes are going to go up. But ultimately, in a long run, um, from what you just mentioned about these studies, in a long run, it's more beneficial to the community to have these preschool yeah. programs because you can have more contributors, you know, to the tax base. Absolutely. In some in some states, preschool is actually under the workforce um, area, but 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 in fact, the returns can can even come in the shorter term because when kids are in high quality preschool, you tend to see the special ed rate, the the, the rate at which children are placed into special services, mm-hmm. um, drop in half, in half, and so. And so, you know, what's happening is that it's catching the kids who would have gone, would have needed special services primarily because they just didn't get the, the earlier environment that let them uh, enter school um, at the same, you know, level as their peers. Um, and then in some cases, it actually catches kids who had issues uh, and helps them remediate the issues earlier so that when they go through the educational system, they're just more successful. They don't need to be retained in grade. Um, grade retention drops about 40%, and special ed placement drops about 50%. So that that actually returns savings to school systems rather quickly. Um, and so, if, you know, if every kid had access to high-quality preschool, um, school systems would begin to uh, to see something like a, a 4% um, savings on their wow. total budget. Yeah, wow, that's considerable. Five Belfield, Belfield now, do, work. do you have uh, school districts actually calling you to come speak to them <laughs> to try to convince their constituents that this is the right move? You know, they're doing a good job themselves. They, um, there's, there's been a lot of of activity around the support for you know rolling out high quality preschool, um, and lots of foundations have gotten behind it, and you know the federal government is really pushing. Um, so. And the National Institute for Early Education Research does a lot of of support of this kind of work. So, yeah, the news is getting is is getting out there. Um, people are starting to become familiar. Excellent, because I think the Common Core standards alone won't do it. I think if we we focus on preschool, then in a generation we will see a more competitive um, workforce when when you uh, compare it to the rest of the world. Um, Cynthia, at this time we need to take a short break. But we'll be right back, so stay tuned. You're listening to Educate on TalkZone.com. Back to Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest on the topic of the income achievement gap and with us, we are, we have Dr. Cynthia E. Lammy. Uh, Dr. Lammy, can you share with us, uh, a little bit about your most recent book? Sure. Um, the book is called American Children in Chronic Poverty, um, Complex Risks, Benefit Cost Analyses, and Untangling the Knot. Uh, and I, I, I put that untangling the knot part in the title because I think of the way poverty, uh, approaches children is is like a knot it's like a gordian knot of of risk around child development and each strand of that knot you know represents a certain risk coming from a different type of context that 
and and what happens is the the risks in in a child's environment and these risks are in any environment but it just happens that in the poverty environment the risks are more and uh and and they they're they're more and they're more dangerous and and uh what happens is they don't these strands don't stay separate they tend to tangle up uh and and they strengthen around children and so um to me that means that if that's the way poverty works um to influence children's development for the worse then we need to push back against poverty from multiple angles at once okay and who's who's the book geared toward well I was trying to write the book not for researchers because I I feel like you know they they know what I'm saying and, uh, mm-hmm. al- although although I'm tr- what, one of the things I was trying to do was bring certain areas of research together um, maybe maybe you know for most people for the first time um, but I wanted to talk to actually I wanted to just talk to the American voter mm. uh, because I I feel that people people have strong passions about the issue of American poverty and I, I feel like most people don't realize how much research we now have about how poverty affects children and what we can do about it. And, and also, aren't children the single largest group living in poverty? Yeah. There's um, something like uh, 30% of, of kids um, the, you know, the poverty line for a family of four is something like $23,000. Um, and, uh, you know, we have about 20% of all of our kids in this country living at that level. But if you really think about it, um, even twice the poverty line is, is not a whole lot of money to support a family. Uh, and so at twice the poverty line, it's about 45% of our kids. Mm. So. And yeah. and that could be mis those numbers can be misleading because as, as you know if you live in the suburbs of New York New Jersey Connecticut or what have you you can't live uh, on you know thirty five thousand dollars with a family of four um, That's right. you know let alone twenty four twenty seven um, in yeah. fact I I, I was uh, helping a young man uh, his his parents are from El Salvador and he's a very good student uh, has he's a senior very good grades. Um, exceptional athlete and we were going over his some financial forms that he has to turn into the uh, um, the college board and he asked me if I can assist because of the fact that his this is a, a foreign experience to his parents and as I'm looking at the forms I'm seeing that it's a family of four in Long Island New York um, Nassau County trying to live off of thirty four thousand dollars and as you know a small apartment can cost you close to two thousand dollars um, yeah. just for rent. So I'm like, wow, yeah. how, how is that even possible that they're getting by? Yeah. It's unreasonable. It's just unreasonable. Mm. So, um, you know, when people are struggling with, with those kinds of low, you know, wages or low earnings, then people are stressed, um, you know, because they can't afford, uh, the, the living the housing that they need, they end up moving to more dangerous neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the, in the, in the high poverty school districts, you often have underqualified school staff, um, that, that don't have the, the strong background in child development and pedagogy that they need. Um, and, 
you know, just the lack of money means that kids are going to be hungrier. Um, they may not get to the doctor when they need to. Um, moms are probably, and dads, are probably stressed. Maybe your parenting suffers when you're stressed. Um, there's just more illness. There's more um, depression. Mm-hmm. And so these things are risks to child development. Um, and they don't stay single, as I said before. You know, somebody who is, um, if a mom is single, then that person is, is probably not uh, getting the support. Maybe maybe she's not getting the support that she really needs um, to, to, you know, to be a, a really strong mom. And that goes along with um, feeling bad. Um, you know, and maybe not being able to provide the nutrition. It, it comes all together. It doesn't, it tends not to stay separate. And, it, and there's research that shows when this kind of risk to children's development exists, if you, if you can count three or more, um, then kids are, are usually um, not going to be successful in school. You know, they're going to have lower grades. Um, and uh, it's, it's at about three risks that is the tipping point yeah and, and i also find that there's and it, maybe this goes to the you know speaks to the word chronic uh but i i also find because i work with a, a, a low-income uh population and i find that the teen pregnancy rate is out is outrageous it's just outrageous and that just perpetuates the cycle of poverty you know you're, you're now yeah. as a teenager having a child even less likely to get out of the poverty that you were born into. Uh, and it just kind of perpetuates yeah. itself. Um, before we go on to some possible solutions, um, what other uh, elements, specific elements, such as I just mentioned teen pregnancy, but specific elements maintain that cycle of poverty? Um, well, um, homelessness is a big problem and uh, mobility, high mobility. So when, when folks are unable to earn enough money to, you know, live in some, in a stable, nice place, they end up moving a lot. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, it, it brings instability to the kids and, and to the family. Um, and you mentioned teenage pregnancy, um, lots of issues. Hunger is an issue. Um, not getting nutritious enough food is an issue. Um, just having, just not having enough time, really, time or maybe, um, uh, I, I want to say like a, the de-stressed time to sit with children and read with them, um, to, to let them talk, to let them explore um, how to say things on their own or how to hold a conversation um, or to describe their feelings, um, you know, in a situation where they're, where they're not going to be judged. Mm-hmm. That that kind of environment is what's really good for kids, and it shows up in their classroom when they're able to, um, you know, uh, produce words and, and produce thoughts really, and to have knowledge. Um, but but if you're a stressed out mom or a stressed out dad, it's less likely you'll be able to have those kinds of times with your kids. So those are those are risks. But, we, but there's there's actually programs. Part of what I'm saying in the book is that we, just like we now know that high high quality preschool produces these amazing outcomes, there are other programs too. We know that nurse family partnership, um, which is a home visiting program, really high quality, uh, brings specially trained nurses into um, 
homes with pregnant moms and, and small children, they have really strong findings um, for the health and, and welfare of the kids and the moms. And we're starting to see that there's reading recovery programs um, and, and there's programs for teens. There's the Carrera program uh, of, for teenage pregnancy prevention. There's, there's um, alternatives to incarceration when kids get older. So all along the way, we're starting to realize that some programs really do work. And so the, one of the premises of the book is, hey, shouldn't we be funding these programs and getting them to every family that needs them? Excellent. Excellent. This has been great information. Uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Cynthia Esposito Lamy, Metrics Manager for the Robin Hood Foundation in Manhattan, New York, and author of American Children in Chronic Poverty, Complex Risk, Benefit Cost Analyses, and Untangling the Knot. Dr. Lamy, where can listeners go to learn more about you and to purchase your book? Um, my book is on Amazon.com. You can go online and, and find it. Um, it was published by Lexington Books, so they can actually go there. Um, but it, if you just plug in the, the title of the book, it, it just comes up really easily. Um, and okay. you, you can purchase it right online. Great, great. Thanks for sharing that. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. Tune in next time as we continue to tackle the truth behind schoolhouse doors. 